Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast focused on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. We have a kind of a different episode for you today because you may have noticed we haven't been putting episodes out every week like we were before. I've been uh, getting all the angry emails. Yes, it must be horrible having to deal with that. People are so mean. <laughs> the internet is so cruel. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we thought maybe it'd be a good idea to let you know, yes, we haven't been able to hit them because we've been kind of busy. So we thought maybe we should talk about what we've been working on. That's fair. Because then, you know, maybe we'll get some sympathy. I doubt it. Well, but it's worth a try. <laughs> So, uh, you've been doing the whole machine learning thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, not a lot of people really know this, but starting in the beginning of 2018, I took a different role uh, within the company, and I'm now focusing more on, uh, don't throw tomatoes at me, but on, on power-based systems. What? Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of saw an opportunity to work on some of the... Uh, Cognitive AI, machine learning, deep learning, deep neural network kind of stuff. And uh, there was just kind of a good opportunity to jump into that. So I've been spending a lot of time um, bringing myself up to date on education, um, on our offerings, on the hardware, uh, how it all fits together, what our clients are doing with it and stuff. So I've been um, kind of drowning myself in YouTube videos and online tutorials and books on TensorFlow, Cafe, Power9, NVIDIA, uh, the whole thing, uh, and it's 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 interesting because I mean you know you and I were working for the past couple of years doing cloud stuff, and we got a lot of um, concern that like this stuff moves so fast. I mean, every every year or two, there's a new standard, and people want to use this tool and this tool. The world of AI moves like twenty times faster. There's a new king elected at the end of every day. Uh, <laughs> it's and it, it it moves at such a breakneck pace. Um, just trying to keep on top of it, and you know, even trying to say what should I be looking at, uh, it's 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 challenging, but it's it's a it's a good kind of challenging. So you said that the focus that you've had is mostly on power as opposed to Z. Why is that? Well, in order to do um, a lot of the uh, neural network type stuff, it requires it the the types of transactions that are happening are not the big complex transactions where you need to you know thread them. Um, you know, from from end to end, and they need to do locking and stuff like that. It's you can do a lot of it as matrix multiplication. So you load up a ton of data, uh, typically into like a GPU, which has all these cells of data, which you can do parallel math across, um, and then execute the same command once across all of them. So it's kind of like um, that type of work uh, lends itself more to a, I'll say, a supercomputer type platform. And the uh, the Power Nine systems that are kind of just emerging right now, they have uh, anywhere between, uh, I believe, one to six GPUs in them. And these are like the big fancy honking ones. Uh, the machines with six GPUs require plumbing, um, and they are, you know, as as impressive as mainframe is. These are not, you know, I'll say it, these are not as impressive, but there there is something really cool about a custom built machine uh, or a purpose built machine. I mean, mainframe is meant for processing business transactions, period. These machines that are coming out now on the power side are for doing analytics, period. I mean, they, they can load data in, in from the CPU faster. They can crunch numbers faster. I mean, there's there's something cool about that. They're not, this is not going to end up underneath someone's desk running Microsoft Word. <laughs> but that's really been the focus of power for a while, right, is 
is, you know, I, I think about the work that they've always done to mask the TPCC numbers, right. and it's always been around this, let me load a ton of data in and do some really quick calculations. Yeah, but but even more so now, these uh, this is like, if, if you look at the way like an Intel-based machine is, is kind of built, it has to be able to do um, a little bit of everything pretty good. And it, you know you can you can tweak some knobs to it so that it's very good at being a gaming PC or a multimedia PC or whatever. You can see where IBM spent its time and money and research in building a machine that is specifically built to run something like you know Cafe or Chainer or TensorFlow and then those types of workloads. And this is a you know you when you when you run head to head a workload with the same you know basic system specs and numbers. Um, the power machine is going to beat the Intel machine just out of the box, and then once you start tuning it specifically for the kinds of hardware that it have has, and the you know the hardware shortcuts it has between the GPU and the CPU, uh, then you start seeing like the three to five x improvement. So you used a lot of uh, terms there that I have no idea. So three is the number that comes after two, <laughs> and a computer is uh, a thing capable of TensorFlow. What the heck is TensorFlow? So uh, TensorFlow is Google's um, framework around uh, machine learning and deep learning. Uh, it lets you um, – it gives you the ability to uh, do, you know, high-level uh, abstraction for machine learning, deep learning type stuff um, without having to type it out line by line by line. So I can define the neural network that I want to run on. Uh, this is the type of math that I want to go on within that neural network. And here's how I want to load the data. Here's how I want to score it. Here's how I want to set up the gradient descent. Um, there's there's a lot to it. And unfortunately, you know, same thing with cloud. People say, I'm going to install this thing, and then I'm going to be able to check this thing off, and I'm going to be doing AI. <laughs> and, you know, more, more, you know, almost more so than the cloud stuff is uh, you can't just install software and say, I'm done. You really need to fully subscribe and stay attached to this kind of stuff in order to to see benefit from it. Because, you know, if you're if you're you know, TensorFlow has been around for um, the blink of an eye in terms of you know the way people are used to keeping up with this software, and it's on version 18. So people really need to stay in tune of, of what's coming out here. And so TensorFlow is um, another version of a framework that you would use in Python is Keras, which actually sits on top of TensorFlow. And it all comes down to how much control do I need versus how much do I want to automate things. So you, as you go deeper, you give, uh, you get more control, but you have to write more code. And uh, the, the stack for doing machine learning is, um, if it's a subway, there's like 20 different stops you can get off on, and you're still in Manhattan. Like, you, you can... You can have the software do all the stuff for you, and you can say, yay, I'm doing machine learning, and you'll be able to get there faster. Um, or you can start by writing your own assembly code and go up from there, and there's certain benefit to that too. And we have customers who are like all over the place in terms of where they want to get off. Well, it's, it's funny. You, you mentioned uh, Python. It seems like that's the language that people do a lot of this work in, right? Yeah, Python um, – Every once in a while, everyone just kind of remembers, oh, yeah, you can do anything in Python. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's the glue, glue that holds everything together. But, but Python, is, it's an interpretive language, right? So it's not, it's not a language that you tend to associate with fast processing. What's happening? Is, is there something else underneath the covers that's doing some of the you, – You can use other languages, but it, Python is the sweet spot. 
It's okay. it's where most people know it. You can look at it and figure out what it's doing. And uh, the code that's actually getting executed is run on the GPU or on the CPU. Um, and you're probably not going to deviate much from what your competitors are doing in that in that regard. So most people just use Python. So we we have machine learning frameworks on Z as well, right? Right. So are there times when it would make sense to, to use Z for machine learning? Yeah, there are definitely times when you would want to do machine learning on Z. And a lot of the machine learning standard uh, frameworks are available on Z. You can run them there. And, of course, the big benefit is that I get to let the, the data live right there. And I can also orchestrate the data to say, yeah, um, Mr. Uh, machine learning person, you can have all this data. But by the time you get it, I'm going to obscure all the sensitive private information. Uh, I'm also going to, you know, anonymize this and make it so that, you know, you're not just getting a big zip file with everyone's data in it. Who I, and I, know, I know you're going to leave that on a hard drive somewhere <laughs> or a USB drive and someone's going to steal it and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, Z has the ability to kind of pipeline all that data into a single feed, which is uh, which definitely benefits. Um, but when you run on a lot of these these uh, machine learning frameworks the assumption is that i have this processor and i need to run it up to 100% utilization and i'm just going to eat up cycles and the more cycles i use the better product i'm going to get and uh surprisingly not a lot of customers are willing to do that to their 4 hour rolling average uh you know we, there might be some discussions around the container based pricing and you know some of the, the zip offloading but yeah, uh, for the most part, the types of workloads are extremely hardware intensive. Uh, even if you're not running on GPUs, you don't necessarily need GPUs to do this stuff. But for most workloads, it helps. Um, yeah, Z, Z plays a, a very important role in not only you know the the businessification of all this, but the data privacy aspect of it. So, do you see um, more and more in the future people pulling the data from? say, a Mongo interface on Z, or do you see maybe some machine learning preprocessing done on, on the mainframe and providing some of that information as raw data? I think it needs to move into a, um, almost like a CI/CD type pipeline. It can't – right now I can I can talk to our the DBA, grab a whole bunch of data, grab a bunch of tests, and – put out the outputs into an Excel spreadsheet and put it up on the refrigerator and say, look at this cool thing I did. That's cool for a, a one-and-done kind of thing. If it need, if I need to um, make that a continuous part of my, my shops, what we do, then it needs to be part of the delivery pipeline. And uh, so, you know, whatever interface happens, I think it should just be provided as like a, a data stream into wherever it's going to be run. So, you know... I'd, I'd, I'd even hate to pin it down to something like a Mongo or any specific product because, you know, the the stuff that's being done right now, we'll be able to look back in five years and it will look like 1995 web pages. It, <laughs> they'll look like Hello World things. If people are doing really cool things with uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and deep learning, uh, it is it, it, the state of the art is advancing so fast that it's going to look so silly so quickly. Well, it's funny. One of the things that uh, – when you've been talking to me about this that I thought was very interesting is a lot of times what I get back from this is an answer, but it's not clear how the system came up with that answer. 
Yeah, the interpretability is it's um that's one of the the first things that comes up in every business discussion is uh, I can write a machine learning algorithm, you know, or model and it will say, yes, approve this person for a loan. Uh sell that stock, you know, I'm making a a binary decision or a classification decision. Um and as smart as the machine is, I cannot say why did you do that? Uh, if I can, I can train a machine learning algorithm to say that's a cat or that's a dog. I can't go to that model and say what's a dog, and that's why it's machine learning and not machine understanding. <laughs> so you know, the, there are several vendors right now, um, some of them business partners that have solutions that I can kind of audit a model to make sure I'm not making something that's sexist or racist or you know is just finding patterns in noise. Um, but yeah, the, the the whole ability of it to uh, have explainability or um, interpretability is it's it's a huge thing. And before this, you know, starts getting really too far off the ground in Z, we're going to have to answer those questions because that's it's always the first thing that comes up. Well, and that's going to be important, right? If if I'm if I want some of this machine learning capability to be tied into my transactional activity, I I need to be able to ensure that I'm not turning my company into a biased, racist, or right. ageist, or whatever. Yeah, if you, if you have bad data or not a lot of data, and you you, you tell the algorithm, uh, find a pattern here such that you always arrive at the right answer. And it comes back and it says, okay, with 99% accuracy, I have, I have found a pattern, and you can you can go to town with this. And you find out the pattern it found was based on, like, the numerical values in the social security number or whether or not somebody's name ends in a vowel, um, <laughs> which is one of the reasons you can't just say heap of data plus uh, piece of software equals right answers all the time. There needs there, – there is a definite art and science to it. Um, and, you know, fortunately, I'm, I'm part of a team with some very smart people who are very well-versed in that art and science <laughs> stuff, and I'm – Trying my best to get up to date. Well, that's I think what's been taking a lot of your time, right? Is is understanding and trying to figure out, you know, where things fit and and how to get clients started, right? Yeah, it's it's huge, um, and you never know whether someone has a little bit of experience or they're writing their own stuff. Um, and like I said, you know, there's there's different stops. We have this product called a Power AI Vision. And you've you've probably seen machine learning classifications where it you know, draws a colored box around a thing and it says, "I found a car over here, um, I found a person over here." And this tool lets you you know you literally upload video files to it and you give it a couple examples. You say, "Okay, that's a dog, that's a car, you know, that's that's a cat, that's a person," and you do that in a couple different frames of the video. And then it says, "Okay, well, based on the way that you know things move in a three dimensional world." The frames in between here, I'm going to guess that's still a dog, and that's still a cat, and that's still a car, and it starts training itself off of there, and eventually it builds more and more uh, ex- examples and has greater confidence in saying, okay, so now in this other frame that I've never seen before, this thing kind of looks like that car you showed me before. I'm pretty sure that's a car. Is that right? And you say, yes. It goes, okay, now I have a better instance, uh, you know, a better view of what this car-looking thing is. So you you can train this thing without having to write any code. You have a model at the end. That model can be plugged into any sort of program that you you want to, and it's 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 immediate value in a matter of minutes. I have a visually trained model, which is something a couple of years ago would have taken you know a, a couple hundred thousand dollar a year PhD data scientist to build for me, and I can do this on my own in a program. It's it's extremely powerful. So that's really what they mean when they talk about learning. It's not. It's it's 
understanding how different components of a particular pattern can be grouped together. It's not learning the way you learn. Right. Um, yeah, and it goes back to that whole it's, it's machine learning, not machine understanding. So the uh, a, a model, people don't think about this a lot, but the a model can be extremely fragile. Um, and, and, like, for example, let's say I want to do um, the kind of a thing that, like, uh, Facebook does where if I upload a picture – It'll say, I, I think I see Frank in that picture. Is that Frank? You know, or it'll just say, I'm pretty sure that's Frank. I'm just going to go ahead and tag him in that picture, that embarrassing picture. Um, <laughs> of course. If, if the pictures that are used during the, the, uh, the training cycle of, of building the model are limited in their um, how much they differ, say all the lighting is from one side, and in all the pictures you're wearing this brown hat, um, if if I'm trying to determine who this person is coming into a building using security camera footage and the lighting is from the other side and you're not wearing a hat or you're wearing a different shirt, it might have uh, tried to learn a pattern based on something completely different. And, you know, the easiest way to break a model is to feed it fake data or change things up a lot. So somebody growing a beard, somebody putting on glasses where I, I cannot I can no longer you know find that single pattern. It's a uh, it's going to break it. So, so you know, the, the idea of, um, well, machine learning will eventually take over everything goes back to that art and science. The person putting it together needs to know artificial intelligence's limitations and kind of work around them. Yeah, so for them, uh, for, for the machine learning, I can so Clark Kent myself, right? Put the glasses on, suddenly yep. it won't be able to recognize me. Well, actually, there's, there's a thing called dropout where um, when I, if I have a bunch of data, I will strategically – um, futz with that data. I will, I will, you know, uh, literally or figuratively put black circles over parts of a picture or obscure parts of data because I don't want you, you know, finding a pattern in something where there might not be a pattern next time. Uh, I'm going to flip, if, if, if it's a visual image, I'm going to flip it a couple degrees one way, flip it a couple degrees the other way. I'm going to flip it horizontally. Um, you know, there's, I'm going to show you as many variations as possible you know, because uh, I, I don't want you just learning that one image. Cool. Yeah, and you, you can kind of see where this is happening. You know, this is a, an example I've used before, but um, Spotify, at the end of the year, Spotify kind of wraps everything up and says, here's the songs you listen to a lot this year. And sometimes those results have been embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> sometimes funnier than others. Um, and, the, the, you know, it, and that's kind of been a cool thing because it's like, oh, yeah, I did really like that song back in February and I get to listen to it again. And that's that's looking backwards. This year, at the, at the end of 2017, they did something interesting where they said, here's the songs that you listen to the most. Here's another playlist of songs that you missed. And that's that's the difference between just, you know, using data for data's sake and using data to build a model and predict forward. And uh, we're going to see a lot more accurate predictions going forward. Like, you know, Amazon used to be this person's buying uh, needle nose uh, pliers. They must be a carpenter, so I'm also going to try to sell them a hammer and a screwdriver. Well, somebody buying needle-nose pliers might also be a fisherman. They also might be doing crafts with, you know, wire and stuff like that. So based on, you know, the, the model, now I know what to recommend, not just, you know, this always equals this. There's context. And you see that being very um, more focused to a particular customer going forward? Literally every customer wants to take advantage of AI. They 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 all do. Um, 
how exactly they're going to do it uh, comes down to what kind of data they have and how competitive they want to get. Um, if you are a retail company and you operate with different stores and you have parking lots, there is a non-zero chance that you have competitors who are buying satellite footage of your parking lots throughout the day to find out not only how full are they, but what kinds of cars are in that parking lot. And they're not doing that by hand. They're doing it to, to you know, they're doing using algorithms, models to determine how good are you doing? Should we consider buying you out? Um, so it is, you know, there's non-traditional ways this is being used in business, but it's definitely being used in business. And, uh, the bigger the business, the bigger the data, um, the more there there can be payoff. So it's definitely something people should be paying attention to, as, and not just as a toy, but something that can be used in business. Well, th- this explains why you haven't had time to do a lot of terminal talk stuff. Oh, don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it was only you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm just saying that it's understandable that... That you've been very busy. That's all. Uh, you you've been fairly busy yourself. I, I uh, you know just this week you were uh, you were out in. Um, I guess we can't even say where no, you were. No, we can't say. But uh, I, I have spent a lot of time with uh, government agencies. Yes. Yeah, so what's uh, what's, week. what's yeah. going on there? Well, you know, I, I've been as you mentioned before. We've been focused for the longest time on cloud and other kinds of things that uh, businesses care about with cloud. And I've been working with the government for a while to try and get them to understand how they can take uh, their mainframe and, and turn it into something that can be used in cloud environments. So uh, this week, one of the things that, that I've been working on for over a year s- suddenly started to move, and we're creating a, uh, an SMS gateway on on the mainframe. and. And that's pretty cool because it doesn't just show the mainframe as a server, but more as a peer in an environment. So, yes, it will accept REST requests and and do stuff, but it also has to use REST to talk to the SMS gateway out in the real world. So it's really cool to see um, a company or an agency, government agency, or someone start to understand the untapped potential of the machine. And so that was a big part of this week. And there's a couple of different government agencies I, I met with this week where we're trying to get them to see what they can do in this space. And it's it's really pretty exciting because, you know, for for a long time, the government has been using mainframes and, and they have a lot of, of old, I shouldn't say old, I should say legacy mm-hmm. um, business transactional kind of work that once unleashed will allow them to do things that they really haven't been able to do before. Um, I think they'll be able to understand how they can share data uh, better uh, if they start working in this space. I think they'll have a lot more flexibility than they've ever had before. And so to me, that's quite a win. Imagine the government, at least it's in some way, being able to be more agile. Do you think we're turning a corner now where um, cloud is kind of – I won't say losing its shine, you know, but it is no, it's no longer interesting just because it's new and it has to start playing by the same rules as traditional IT? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's actually a great point, right? Um, we've been um, 
I would say for the last couple of years, we've been trying to get people to look at the reality of cloud. And we are at the point where people are not expecting cloud to do everything for them. Um, they've they've learned. But, but, but what do you mean? I mean, all, all I want to do <laughs> is take these machines and have somebody else provide the machines for me and the operating systems and the software and the manpower and all the administration, and I want it to be faster and cheaper. Yeah, because that's the way it works. Can't, well, well, I, don't, <laughs> right. I don't understand what's so difficult about that. <laughs> well, and that's really – I think people have have come to grips with the fact that, wait a minute, this did not save me money mm-hmm. or uh, this is – not what everybody said it would be. Yes, it was cheaper up front, but now I'm spending more, mm-hmm. which is what happens whenever you rent anything, right? It, yeah. it always looks better at first because, hey, I'm renting a car. I'm not buying it. It's much cheaper. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think people are starting to understand this has to be more than just cheaper. Uh, I need to be able to do things faster, right, because that's really changed. Um but I think they're starting to understand that I can't just rewrite everything that I've had for the last 50 years in a new language, on a new platform, in a new environment, and expect it to somehow either save me money or suddenly give me business opportunities that, that I never had. So we've really turned a corner in in the conversations that we have because up to this point, it's always been – Hey, um, you know, you have this opportunity here. Uh, you don't have to rewrite everything in order to get that value. And we don't really have those conversations anymore. It's much more, hey, how can I do this? So for me, uh, I've been kind of changing my focus a little bit. I mean, I still spend a lot of time helping businesses understand how they can do services. Mm-hmm. But um, my focus is really turning more on how do I make it easier to manage uh, ZOS systems in a more cloud-like way. What's, what's interesting is I, I recently went through uh, um, IBM Cloud uh, training, and I would say a good like seventy-five up percentage of the the tooling that goes into a cloud uh, infrastructure in a distributed world is just about making sure that you have a a backup plan when the system dies and that you can scale beyond one system. And you kind of get to skip out on a lot of that troublesome part of it uh, on mainframe by just saying we we can grow vertically (laughs) and we we have scalability. You know, I, I can make a system that can have 32 CPs and, you know, However many you know terabytes of RAM associated with it, not you know not not not, not this, that is necessarily always the answer, but a lot of the uh, the concerns like oh I'm going to install this and this and this and this, it's like you realize all that stuff doesn't really get you anything but availability, and availability is one of those things that he kind of has. <laughs> well, so you get to focus. It's, it's, it sounds fun. Is you get to focus a lot more on the application creating and and business side of things than the uh, infrastructure which yeah and i think i think that as people start to compete more in this space and they realize that the more efficient i can be the more lean i can run 
the thought that maybe this mainframe thing isn't a bad thing after all mm-hmm. and can start doing things that that I just can't do anywhere else. And I mean that not just in the, oh, we've got code here, but the fact that I can run leaner because I don't have to have a lot of infrastructure to do things like availability to make sure things stay secure. All of that capability, if I can put it together right on the mainframe, I start to create something that is way leaner to run and more efficient. Imagine in a not too distant future being able to say, we run things on the mainframe because it's cheaper to run there. And do you think people will care that it's running on the mainframe or is at this point it's just it's just another piece of hardware? Yeah, I think the whole thought of people caring about platform in general is going away. Good. Right? <laughs> I, I think we'll be able to go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's mainframe. But, but it's a service, right? We're talking about a services model. So as a service, the person who's writing a program, he doesn't care. Right. She doesn't care whether I'm running it on a mainframe or um, – uh, PowerBox or Intel or Raspberry Pi. Who cares? As long right. as I'm getting what I want out of yeah, it. Yeah, I don't care if I'm going through a Cisco network or a brocade. You know, exactly. as long as it works. Exactly. I'll, so, I'll have a preference if one works more than the other one. Right. Yeah. And and so it becomes. It's kind of an interesting conversation because up to this point, programmers were determining where stuff run because I, I like to program to that model. Mm. Well, now if it's all container based, if it's all you know, hidden. Who cares? It's just it's just a service as long as it runs. I really don't care. Yeah. So I think that's great. And and so that's why my focus has been shifting more to, hey, one of the big complaints about the mainframe is skills, right? And we 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 skittles. Yeah, because you get skittles box. It's a yeah. horrible thing. Um, yeah, we had um, uh, 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 Karen um, Kathy. Uh, Camille. Uh, Coco? Um, Christy. 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 Yeah. We had Christy on uh, a few episodes back. Okay, a lot of episodes back. <laughs> and she talked a little bit about what they're doing to teach people skills. And a lot of that skills focus has been from a programming perspective. But one of the things that I really want to make sure that we don't forget is we're getting to the point where MVS or ZOS sysprogs are going to start retiring. And I've been really kind of focusing on how do I create some of that management type of software um, for for mainframes and come up with ways for people who are not dyed-in-the-wool ZOS sysprogs to start being able to to ease into managing Z. And to do that, I have to start coming up with ways of managing the platform more like other cloud platforms. Yeah, certainly. So there are some really cool things happening um, within the company and actually outside the company where we can start to uh, to make those kind of connections and make it easier. I'm doing a project with, with a, a large insurance company where they have a process that's, that is today very manual and they want to automate it. And... Along the way, we decided, we working together, we're partnering on this, we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we created the automation in such a way that people who have next to no ZOS skill can start doing that management? So 
they hired two uh, Linux uh, aficionados right out of mm-hmm. college, and these two uh, new hires are actually building scripts that manage the mainframe um, without years and years of of mainframe education or even skill. Now, they have a really, really good ZOS sysprog helping them out there. But imagine having a group of people who know nothing about the platform starting to do some really, really cool things. I mean, here's two guys who don't know anything about uh, Z at all suddenly creating tooling to help them understand what's going on in SDSF. Oh, that'd be interesting to watch. Right. And and here's – they have nothing to base this on except advice and counsel from a sysprog. And in weeks, they're already accessing SDSF. Not because somebody said, hey, I have this thing. You're going to learn about it. But because I need that data. I need that capability. Let me go figure out how to grab it and put it into something that I already know. Mm-hmm. And that's really a cool thing from my perspective. But it's been taking a fair amount of time and effort. Yeah, you've been uh, you've been fairly busy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I saw something pop up uh, this week. It, it seems like you uh, you had a little experience. You've uh, you have some uh, tales from the rails. Tales from the rails. Tales from the rails. <laughs> what's 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 going on? Oh over yeah, there? I was uh, um, coming up from uh, Baltimore, and instead of flying, decided wouldn't it be uh, much less expensive for the company if I took a train, um, and it was. It was you know much less than half the cost, so I took a coach ride on uh, Amtrak, and um, I found out that uh, one of the conductors, she was uh, she was really not really fond of either her company or passengers or let's let's or let's both. get down to it. What what did you screw up? <laughs> Yeah, well, and so, so yeah, I uh, I was in my seat minding my own business because that's the kind of guy I am. And uh, an announcement came over and said, oh, oh, have your tickets ready. I'm going to be coming through. All right. And so I had my ticket on my phone and I, you know, pulled it up. But, you know, that person wasn't there. So so you got distracted and started, started doing Fallout something else. And- and then uh, suddenly she's in front of me and where's your ticket? Okay, well, I just pick up my phone and and start to push the buttons and she's like, "Did you not hear my my announcement?" Yeah, yeah, I heard the announcement. So how come your tickets aren't ready? I wish people would pay attention and listen to me. So Don't we all? Don't I, we all? I, I I was scolded for not having my my ticket right available when she walked up because you know. I wish I wish they would have thrown you off like in the uh, <laughs> Indiana Jones didn't have a ticket or Silver Streak one of those right that's another old movie I was I'm gonna have to look that one up yeah yes there must be somebody who's listening who oh I'm sure who, there are who will remember perhaps on a Victrola wow that hurts <laughs> yep so so yeah um, it, it was a fun uh, in- interesting. Adventure. So you you were that guy. I was that guy. I I, I kind of think that she could have treated me a little bit better. Uh, at least you know, in the ten seconds it took for me to pull out my ticket, I think she could have been a little bit more patient. Certainly, when I was later that day on uh, Metro North, 
the, with the young lady in front of me didn't have her ticket ready, and it took her a lot more than 10 seconds to find it because it was somewhere stuck in her bag. Um, her conductor uh, was very patient and said, it's okay, take your time. Uh, I, of course, was completely ready after being burned earlier in the day. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that the conductor on Amtrak could have had maybe a different attitude. And if you are a train conductor listening to this, <laughs> I will give you $5 to continue being mean to Frank <laughs> next time you see him in any modes of transportation. All I require is video evidence <laughs> and a right to post it on the Internet. I, I, think, uh, I think if you were there, uh, I was the soul of courtesy. I didn't say anything. I didn't argue with... Hey, and what a great way to end this episode. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we've been working on, right? Yeah. Uh, we have, uh, we're coming up on a year of, of Terminal Talk episodes, believe it or not. Wow, has it been that already? It has it almost literally been a year. I know because I had to renew the domain, TerminalTalk.net. <laughs> I was like, that can't be right. Oh, my God, it is. So we're going to have to do something special for that, right? We will. Maybe we'll have some Dippin' Dots. Dippin' Dots. Yeah. Mm. Get a special announcer, maybe? Yeah. Do that whole thing. Yeah. I wonder if we can get uh, Anthony to come back. and. I don't know. I think he's done with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He really wasn't all that. Uh, that last time, no. Uh, uh, yeah. Maybe we should have been treating him a little better. But I will say, uh, Apple just recently uh, released a thing where you can see, like, exactly how many people listen to the podcast through, like, what types of devices and stuff. And... Uh, I won't get, I won't put a number out there, but it is surprising how many people listen to this podcast <laughs> in in a, in a positive way. I mean, we we have we have triple digits. Wow. Yeah. Really? People listening on Apple devices exclusively, you know, because you know, that's there's also the whole Android side and people who listen directly through the web page, weirdos. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a lot of listeners. Wow. I, I guess we should be acting a little bit more professional. That or we should um, make sure not to make any loud noises towards the end because I know there are certain podcasts I only listen to to fall asleep to. <laughs> and I, I hate when they end with their theme song and it wakes me up. <laughs> also, this would be a good time to mention to people, you know, we, we've have, we have a couple of ideas on what we want to hear mm. um, or what we want to talk about. But uh, we're always looking for input. So if one of you or – Many of you have ideas on stuff that you, topics you'd like to hear about. You know, please hit us up on the Twitters. On the Twitters, yeah, that's the good. easiest way. Uh, I'm always, you know, checking out the mainframe subreddit. And we've gone off the rails. Yeah, for those following along at home, I just took out a giant diatribe by myself that <laughs> is not fit for publishing. <laughs> But yeah, hit us up on the Twitters or in the, the mainframe subreddit or email or, you know, if you want to send a VM tell, <laughs> I'll get here too. Heck, uh, we'll even take snail mail at this point. Yeah. There we go. That it? I think so. Old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off. <laughs>